Welcome to Money Talk with Tiff, a podcast where we discuss everything money from tips and tricks to current events. Follow me on my journey to become debt-free and meet other cool people along the way. I am your host, Tiffany Grant. Now let's talk money. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Money Talk with Tiff podcast. Today is another guest episode, but wait for it. I have two people on at the exact same time. (laughs) So this is going to make a very interesting discussion. So first we have Krista Goodrich. She is the author of The Boss Lady Investor. You don't need a boop to understand money. (laughs) Um, She is She currently owns or is a partner in about 17 companies, so she's a serial entrepreneur, and she loves to invest in real estate and other new up-and-coming companies. Then I also have Grace Everett. She's been writing and editing for over 10 years, and she's the co-author of the book. Um, She is an independent thinker and entrepreneur and founder and president of Grace Marketing Group. So hey, ladies, how's it going? Hi there, how are you? Hello, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Absolutely. Um, So I just wanted to dive right in. Um, I know, you know, we had a little conversation before we hit record today, and you all both have one, well, probably a few things in common, but one thing in common for sure, and that's you both have gone through divorces, and that's not a topic A, that anybody really talks about, and B, that can be so detrimental to your money story. So I wanted to just touch on that really quick. Um, You know, Krista, if you wanted to go first, I know you've gone through two as of now. Yep. So I... I've been as of now. <laughs> and I'm about me. Um so funny. It so horrible. I love it. The good news is if I go for a third, he's much better off. So maybe I'll get something out of the third one. <laughs> no, I, I adore my husband. We have a wonderful relationship and we're almost annoyingly cute and have been for the last twelve years. So I think we're good. But prior to him, yes, I had two divorces. Never expected to have that in my background. Um, One divorce was embarrassing enough. And then having a second, not too terribly long after, was absolutely horrifying. So it was shocking. I'm I'm such a responsible person when it comes to so many things. But when it came to affairs of the heart, turns out I was a little bit irresponsible in making my decisions when I was younger. So Mm -hmm. my first husband was my college sweetheart. And we had dated through college. It wasn't a very, you know, crazy love story. We just, we were in a sorority and fraternity and just made sense that we dated. And after college, we moved to Atlanta. We'd gone to school in Tennessee. When I say after college, I graduated and he didn't. And not that I care at all if someone graduates college. I, in the book, I talk a lot about that. I don't think college is for everyone. And I think it's oversold um, in this modern era. There's a lot of people that don't need to spend that money, but in his case, he had started and not finished and really had no path of where he was going, what he wanted to do. And it should have been a red flag, just that we were very different in starting and finishing things. I started working and did the job I was supposed to do. He didn't really find work to be as important in his life. So um, those mismatched priorities led to some struggles and then he eventually became 
a major gambling addict. And yeah, it got pretty nasty to the point where I had graduated college. I landed this amazing job. I was working for a mutual fund company and I was traveling mostly in the, on the Western, um, Western mountain area, Colorado, Nevada, Arizona area, cause that was my territory. And I'm out there training adult male financial advisors on different financial service products only to fly home and find that my husband would be doing crazy things like stealing my corporate American Express reimbursement check, cashing it, Ooh. and spending it. So when you're 23 years old and you get a corporate reimbursement check for $4,000 and you get home and your husband has spent it all, that's a, it's a pretty difficult thing to deal with because I had to cover the money or I'd lose my job, you know? Ooh. And then also had to deal with living with someone who was doing that. And we lived in Georgia, so it's a state that it's very difficult to um, kick your spouse out of the house, regardless how the house is set up. So we had bought a house, and um, eventually I called his parents, and he did enough gambling that he had stepped over some lines that could have led to him spending uh, some time in a, dip <laughs> in a worse situation. Um, but instead of having him go to jail, I called his parents and they stepped in and basically told him he had to leave. And so he left with a television and a car and I kept the house and everything else. A year later, when I had to refinance the house out of his name as well, I learned that, and this is a really important lesson and you should check with your state because I only know it for Georgia, but it was a huge lesson for me we had to hire a private detective to find him. He had disappeared and I had no contact with him or his family. And because we were on the house together, I had to hire a private detective and prove to the state of Georgia that I had done everything in my power to locate him. But once I proved that, then they allowed me to become his default. And I'm not sure that what the word is, but default power of attorney. And I was mm -hmm. able to sign as his former wife his name off of the mortgage and all the home documents. Oh, which is pretty cool. Cause I thought I was going to be in a, I thought I was gonna be stuck, you know, like, what do I do? I can't ever sell this house. Cause I own it with this guy that I can't find, but there are solutions out there. You just have to look for them. So I had contacted the mortgage company. I, and you know, she said, here's a situation. And they told me how long I had to wait and what steps I had to take. And I was able to do that and then refinance the house into my name so that when I eventually sold it, I didn't have to share that with him. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. But that's really good information because I didn't even know that. Um, yeah. That you can become, you know, like the default power of attorney and just get their name off of everything. Yeah. I, I, when they told me that, I thought, how is this legal? But I don't, and I don't know how it is, but it is. And it's how they deal with divorce situations when one partner is not reachable. And it's, you know, it's pretty uncommon. Most divorces, they do sign off the house and all that. But if you do get stuck in a situation where, you know, your husband runs off with the secretary or whatnot, <laughs> there are options available for you. So, um, so that happened and I was making great money. I was again, 23 years old. I was making at the time over $70,000 a year, which at that age was pretty substantial. It was, the year was like 2001 and, um, you know, flying all over the country, living this pretty cool life. But during the time I was with my ex-husband, he had raided my savings account, you know, racked up credit card debt. So when he left, it was a pretty difficult situation to get out of because he had just taken so much money. But I did. And I just did it the regular way. I, you know, paid my 
debts that he had taken on my behalf, he would go to check cashing places. And so he had all these pending notices from these check cashing places. So I just paid those off as I could, uh, worked on my credit because by racking up my credit card debt, that lowered my credit score, score of course, and eventually paid everything off. Um, having a great job did definitely help at the time. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's um, one of the important points here is to make sure you know, like when you're getting into a marriage or something with someone, like their financial habits, Mm -hmm. uh, because it can make a huge difference in, you know, your future and, you know, what might happen next. (laughs) So for instance, like, you know, you said you all were together and then come to find out he has a gambling problem. And the thing is, you know, at the end of the day, when you're married, all of your finances are combined. Like you all are now one unit. So in essence, if he has a gambling problem, you do too. And you're going to feel it financially. Correct. He, he was the one and only person I've ever shared a bank account with. Mm. And from that marriage, I walked away and said, I will never do that again. Because mm. when he would reach into the account, there was nothing I could do. He had just as much right. And the bank didn't care who contributed the money. So yeah. And for the young ladies out there, there's typically warning signs. And what women do that is so devastating is we, when we fall in love we overlook everything (laughs) and we all do it. We're all guilty. You're not alone. And I did it. And I, you know, definitely had to work on not doing it in the future. But if I was in love with him and we were going to get married, what did it matter? There were signs. He played scratch off lottery more than any person I'd ever seen, but I didn't, we didn't share money. Like that was when we were in college. We didn't share money. So I just thought he could afford to do it and he'd had fun doing it. I don't know what I thought, but you know, things like that. I look back and I'm like, girl, that was a major red flag in college. Who even cares about playing scratch off lotteries? You know, like we should be worried about having fun with our friends and going to class and, you know, things like that, not scratch off lottery tickets. So there are definitely signs that I ignored. And fortunately I'm really quick to realize my mistakes and I was divorced in less than a year. So I didn't spend, you know, 10 or 20 years in a miserable situation. Luckily I did it, pull the trigger quickly and say, okay, I can't, I'm not going to do this for the rest of my life. So. And that's awesome as well. um, Because for instance, I've been in situations where I, you know, ignored the red flags, let it continue. And then here I am wasting years of my life (laughs) because, you know, we were never compatible to begin with. Yeah. And we like to, women like to save people and we can fix them. And the things, again, the red flags that we see, my best friend and my sister both stayed married over 10 years in very difficult situations. And I didn't understand how they could stay so long. It would make me crazy, but so many women do. Mm -hmm. And I think we know most of the time that it's not going to work, but we hear those few stories of where they worked it out and it all turned out happily ever after. So we just hope that's us. Um, But I think normally we can figure out that it's not going to work and call a spade a spade. I wish women would be a little quicker to do that. But a lot of the reason they don't is because they don't understand their money and they don't want to be stuck financially destitute. 
Right. And that's actually an excellent segue to where I want to go next um, because we had a brief conversation and, you know, it's so unfortunate that a lot of women don't pay attention to the finances um, when they're in a marriage or in a relationship. Um, they leave it all up to the guy. Now, sometimes there are situations where women, you know, they pay the bills and, you know, they do that part, but they have no part in the investments. So they don't know what's going on on that end. So I think we both have the same um, vision to have women be more into the finances, more responsible with the finances and things like that. Um, Because let's say you go through a divorce and you have no clue what's going on, then what? And I'm a firm believer in knowledge is power. Yep. And I believe you and I both have backgrounds in financial services and working for financial service firms. And I don't know exactly your experience with it, but I'm guessing it's very similar to mine in that the majority of people we saw with actual accounts investing were men. Mm-hmm. And it drove me crazy because I would, I knew half these men, I knew that they were going to not, their marriages weren't going to last. And 50% of marriages don't last. Right. So all these men investing, all these men actively having meetings with us and talking about their finances and the women were nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm. And it just drove me crazy. So yeah, my goal is to let women know that to understand money and to understand investing, that does not ever mean you have to understand the price to earnings ratio of a stock. So I think women here investing and we get nervous, we get scared. We don't in general, enjoy watching the stock market. Some do, but in general, we don't enjoy watching the stock market. We get nervous about making mistakes. And if you make a mistake in money, it can obviously cost you a lot. So instead of dealing with it, we ostrich and stick our head in the sand where there's really awesome ways to understand money and to understand investing that don't even involve the stock market. There's plenty of ways to save and um, learn about making your financial future amazing without ever touching a stock. There's also very important reasons to understand stocks. And that is if you invest in an IRA or 401k, there's a huge likelihood, unless you're doing a self-directed, that you're investing in stocks and bonds in the form of mutual funds. So I think women just need to at least have a basic understanding there so that they can actively participate in their retirement planning. But again, they don't have to have any kind of great knowledge about stocks and bonds. They never have to pick a stock. They just have to have an understanding about what they want to accomplish in their retirement to understand the mutual fund aspect. Exactly right. And guess what? You have three ladies here right now that can help you do that. (laughs) So so there's no excuse. There's no excuse whatsoever. Um, So Grace, did you want to add anything to that discussion? You know, what was your divorce like? Um, Did you have any financial issues surrounding that? Well, of course. I mean, there's always fallout from a divorce um, and finances is usually a big part of that. I always kind of marvel at the fact that it takes so much effort to get divorced. It takes so long. There's so many lawyers involved. It's such a huge process and it takes like five minutes to get married in most places. It just blows my mind that there's no training. There's no test. There's no nothing. Like, hey, um, maybe this is not such a great idea. Nothing, absolutely nothing, except your friends and family. And I was 19 at the time, so of course I'm not going to listen to them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I came from a pretty traditional family where the, you know, the man manages the money. And my mom was a really strong 
character, very strong, very independent. Um, but it, that was kind of still how the, the gender roles were split in my family. So when I got married, uh, it was to a very traditional man. And that was the deal. He would handle the finances. Um, but there were a ton of red flags in our early relationship. And there was a lot of doubts about this relationship. And I think in addition to women having a tendency to wanting to save people and wanting things to work out, I think strong women in particular just don't like to be wrong. And getting divorced is admitting to the world that you were very wrong about a major decision in your life. Um, so I think I had some of that stubbornness that I just didn't want to be wrong, but I didn't trust him. Um, and he turned out to not be a, a trustworthy character. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the main financial lessons I remember from that marriage was, you know, we were, we were young and he was in the military. So we weren't playing high stakes. We didn't have a lot of money, but at some point I had to buy a car. Um, I had to buy a car to get to my job and, and I, I didn't have any credit at the time because I was 20 years old. I had never been taught about how to get credit. I understood that it was important, but had absolutely zero education or training on how to build it, how to manage it effectively, why it's so important, which is something we talk about a lot in the book, because that was really, of, of all the aspects of financial literacy that we talk about in the book, understanding credit is probably the biggest one that I wish I could go back in time and give myself when I was graduating high school, because that dictates a lot of your early financial decisions at a young age, especially when you're, you know, if you go to college straight away, which I didn't there, you're getting credit card offers in the mail constantly, you know, they're really targeting you. And if you don't understand how to use it effectively, just ask a friend of mine who paid for her college tuition with credit cards because she thought it was just free money. So uh, anyway, I didn't have any credit and we had to buy a car. So uh, he had to get the car in his name. Um, but I would pay for the, the monthly payment on it. So I would just pay him the money with the understanding that it was going to the loan payoff. Um, and very long story short, he got mixed up in some really bad stuff, um, drugs and, and a whole bunch of issues. And he was not putting any of that money towards the car. Mm-hmm. So by the time I actually kicked him out and he wound up going to the brig, which is the military prison. That's actually where his divorce papers were served. Not, not intentionally trying to be cruel. It was just uh, trying to get out of that as soon as possible. Um, I had found out through that process that he had not paid any of the car off. So one thing I made sure I stipulated in the divorce papers was that because the loan was in his name, he was assuming 100% of the debt on that vehicle because it was not my fault and not my problem that he had not applied the money that was intended for the loan payments to go towards that car. So I, I knew how to kind of CYA to cover myself <laughs> in, in the divorce process to make sure that I was not going to be, cause I knew, listen, like Krista, I recognize my mistakes and I'm not about to wallow in it. I'm going to cut, and run and and start over pretty quickly because life is really short and I didn't have time to waste. So I I knew enough to kind of cover myself in the divorce proceedings to make sure that I was not going to take on any extra debt or anything that was not fair to me. Um, Because as far as I was concerned, I was not going to be punished for his mistakes. That was his problem and he needed to have the consequences for that, not me. So, you know, I was 21 years old and, and starting fresh. And at that point, the biggest 
purchase I had ever made was my divorce attorney. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Um, you know, just to, to hear the stories and, you know, I'm learning something new just by talking to you guys, because, you know, I've never been married. I'm a single mom. And now I'm like, you know, now I have some key takeaways for like, when I do get married, like, <laughs> by my oh, yeah. get a worksheet. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I had to check off certain boxes had to be checked or I couldn't go on the date. <laughs> right. Krista, maybe that's something we need to put up on the Boss Lady Investor website is a, a marital financial awareness checklist just to kind of guide these kinds of conversations because it's, it's still awkward to discuss money in a lot of cases. And, you know, Tiffany and I are from the millennial generation, but I don't know about you, Tiffany, but I have a lot of friends who would never dream of talking about money with their spouses. It's just, you know, that's the man's domain. But it's, you know, when you get married, people talk a lot about having shared values. And I think a lot of people think about things like honesty and morality and, you know, these kind of nebulous qualities that tend to rely on raising children, for example, but shared values also applies to money and money governs literally almost everything we do in our lives. That's that's the cold, hard truth is money empowers you. It can hold you back. It can give you a lot of opportunities. It can really play a huge role in, in how your life goes. So having a partner who's on the same page with you about that, I, I think you have to be. I don't think it's possible to have a happy marriage if you are on two totally different pages about that. And exactly. If talk to you about money from the get-go, that's a pretty good red flag, you know. Right. So to to bring up the conversation, and I know there's women. So again, I'm a little older than both of you guys, but in my generation, that are on second or third marriages, and they're talking about prenups on their end or on the guy's side, and that's a really hard conversation to have when you're getting married for love to talk about the money. But it's super important if, you know, for people that are in that situation where a prenup is required to talk about it. But even if not, if you have nothing, one day you might have something and you need to talk about how you're going to manage that, how you're going to deal with it, who's in charge of what. And even if he's in charge of the retirement planning, you should still be an active participant or vice versa. If you're in so I'm in charge of the retirement planning in our house. And my husband and I have a quarterly conversation about it. It is not as planned out as, a, you know, quarterly set on the calendar, but about quarterly, we talk about where we're at and we do some pretty interesting investing that's unique to us. And just last week I said to him, Hey, we need to regroup on that. Cause it, while that was working at the time, I think there's a better opportunity for us. And, but we pop, we both talk about it. He's not as interested in it as I am. So I have to get him to talk to me about it, but he does. And he knows that we're going to talk about it. He's going to be an active participant in talking about it. And it makes him feel better. He walks away knowing, you know, we're doing, this is where we're at. This is when we likely will be able to retire. And it just makes us very comfortable openly discussing money. And that's, that's something else too, is that women are just terrified of talking about money. And I think Grace hit a good point when she said, we don't want to fail and when you, again, when you fail in money, there's so many consequences to that. So I think opening the doors of, hey, you can talk about money. My generation, when I filled out my FAFSA form for college, which is the student aid form to try to get financial aid, when I went to fill that out, I asked my parents to help me. 
but they have to, you have to list your parents' income still to this day on that form. And my parents didn't want me to know. And it, I remember that because I thought, that's so weird. I like, they're my parents. I don't care if they make a lot or a little, why would they not tell me that? You know? So, um, anyway, they, it just was a, a thing that people didn't talk about back then. You didn't talk about money. My dad didn't talk about it. So my mom especially wasn't going to talk about it. And nowadays I think we're learning that we have to talk about it, you know, so that our marriages and our friendships and everything that's involved that money touches ends up working because if you ignore it, even with friends, like if you go out with your girlfriends and they all have money to spend at the club and they want to get a VIP room and you really can't afford to buy a $3 beer, that's, a, that's an issue, you know? So, and we're afraid to say that. We're afraid I can't, to say I can't afford that is so horrible for most women to say. So then they buy things and do things that they can't afford to do because they don't want to say I can't afford that. There's nothing wrong with not being able to afford something. It's actually better to say I can't afford it and save to when you can versus just spending it in hopes. You know, that fake it till you make it works in business, but in personal finance, it's not a good idea. (laughs) That's not a good personal wealth building strategy. (laughs) It will always backfire. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You start a business, I will tell you, fake it till you make it as much as you can, but still be authentic when you say fake it till you make it. You know, for the millennials out there, we do not mean be fake. We just mean, you know, you have to go out there and put yourself out there and, act, you know, show that you know what you're doing. But, you know, how, how do you start a business when you don't already have clients? You've got to make it look like you know what the heck you're doing, but not in personal finance. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And I mean, I think that's an important point, even for guys too, because I've seen where guys, you know, they buy all these things to impress their friends. And meanwhile, you can't eat like you, you I'm like, come on. So, you know, don't try to keep up with the Joneses, just live your best life within your means. Yeah, that's so hard. Yeah, living within your means is, is really hard for a lot of people. And I think I was bullied a lot as a, as a young kid, like ruthlessly bullied. So about the time I was like 13, I had kind of just snapped and I just didn't care what anybody thought about me anymore. I just woke up one day and just absolutely could not care less. And that I didn't realize it at the time because you're 13 and you have absolutely no perspective on anything, but that was an incredibly freeing moment for me and gave me a tremendous amount of autonomy and freedom to just do whatever I wanted without thinking about the consequences of what other people thought about me as a result. And I think being caught up with what other people think about you is what drives a lot of the living beyond your means that we see. Um, So, you know, big lesson out there. Um, Don't care about what other people think about you because I guarantee you they're thinking more about themselves than they are about you ever. (laughs) And it's, it's not worth sacrificing your own identity and security and, and financial stability just to whatever, have a designer purse or whatever your thing is. Although we do talk about that in the book, that everyone is a diva in some way and likes to spend money irresponsibly in some way. That is definitely true. And that is perfectly okay as well. Completely human. Like there has to be something that you have, that you love in your life that you're going to spend a little more on than you probably should. But just you can't do that with everything. You know, all my friends, they go out and get their nails done all the time. I don't. It's not necessary for me. It's not something that I, you know, I enjoy as much as the average girl. But when it comes to boating, I'm a bit of a boating snob. 
So on that kind of experience, I'm going to spend more money on traveling. I'm going to spend more money. But on clothing, just I'm not a fashion diva. That's not my thing. So I'll borrow someone's dress to go to a big event before I'll go spend $1,000 on a dress or $200 on a dress or 50. I'll just borrow someone else's dress <laughs> one time, you know? So, but when it comes to, if I'm going on a trip and I want to do some crazy experience, that's where I'm going to stretch it. Tiffany, where do you think you're a, a diva? What's your kind of your little weakness where you would like to spend a little bit more money than you probably should? <laughs> well, I've talked about this on a previous episode, um, but it's definitely software and technology. Like I really geek out when it comes to software and technology. Like that's awesome. <laughs> just this year, I've spent, you're just cooler than ours. <laughs> right? But I mean, just this year, I've spent thousands on. Like for instance, I bought two financial planning softwares. Why? I didn't need to, but I was just like, oh, this one's cool. Let me buy this one. And then a few months later, oh, this one's cool. Let me buy this one. And I don't need it. I don't even do many one-on-one clients anymore. So it's like, it's pointless, but I just thought the software was really cool. And so that's just what I do. I spend money on software and technology. That's always been my thing. (laughs) And I wanted to ask you, so I saw that you recently went to a conference. Yes. Yeah. So can you tell us about that? Because it looked really interesting. Oh my gosh. FinCon is amazing. So for anyone listening that doesn't know what FinCon is, um, it's a conference for personal finance, you know, influencers. So bloggers, podcasters, YouTubers, um, advisors, you know, things like that. And when I say it's amazing, there's so many different things you can learn, um, so many different connections you can make. Um, I, I left with, and I actually wrote an article about this on my blog, but I left with at least two to three inches worth of business cards, (laughs) which I am happy to say I followed up with every single one. But, um, you know, it's great for exposure. It's great to get FaceTime with companies, publishers, you know, all types of stuff. It it was just an amazing experience. And I've already bought my ticket for next year. (laughs) How many days was the conference? Um, It was four days. So... Um, it was the fourth to the seventh, fourth to the seventh. That sounds like something we need to be buying tickets for, Krista. That sounds awesome. Good. I you, read about it on your blog, Tiffany, and I was fascinated. I was like, oh, I need to look into this thing. You definitely should. Um, I mean, I have heard about FinCon for a long time because I listen to a lot of different personal finance podcasts and things, and every year, every, that's all everyone talks about. So, you know, I really wanted to go and when I went on to look at the ticket prices, it was like $500 for a ticket. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't afford this. So they actually have a thing where you can fill out an application to get a scholarship. So I was like, you know what, let me just try it and see what happens. And lo and behold, they gave me a scholarship. So I'm like, yeah. Oh, heck yeah, girl. (laughs) So it was amazing, but it was well, like, even if I did spend like the $500 at the tickets were at the time, I already made that back. Right. And just one freelancing gig that I got from FinCon. So it's like, it, it's just an amazing experience. And also, you know, another thing that I learned there was my potential. So for instance, before I left for FinCon, 
I was charging pennies to meet with people um, and, you know, do the things that I do. And then, you know, talking to different people in the industry that's doing the exact same thing that I'm doing, maybe in another state, maybe in another city, you know, and seeing what they're charging and what they're doing. And I'm like, well, dang, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I definitely didn't think this all the way through. So, you know, it just opens up a lot of opportunity. There's hundreds of sessions. Um, I, I, I didn't go to any of the sessions hardly. I think I went to maybe four um, because I just got the virtual pass. I felt like to do FinCon right, you need to focus on the networking and the connections that you make. And you can't really do that if you're sitting in sessions all the time. Right, right. Well, and I, I appreciate that you just said you went on and you saw the $500 price tag and a lot of people at that point would have said, well, I can't afford that. But you went further and found a scholarship. And that's a financial hack that I think is awesome. And I, I love interesting financial hacks. Because <laughs> you found a way. You found a way to, to do it within your budget. You know, and I think it's so important that if women want to accomplish something, there's always a way. There's always a way. But you just have to figure out that way. So that's pretty cool that you did that. Oh, yeah. And then, I mean, so I got the ticket for free. So I'm like, okay. I'm going, you know, I just have to figure out travel and lodging. So I was like, well, it's in DC. I'll just go ahead and drive. So all I would really have to pay for is gas. And then once I got there, I I realized that parking too. Um, But um, I was able to get my lodging actually sponsored as well. Um, I'm not going to say how, but (laughs) I was able to get my lodging sponsored as well. So it was practically a free trip for me all around and I was like it's just amazing how things like that happen like when you are you know when you speak things into the universe like what you want to do doors will just start opening as long as you keep following through with it so yeah and so many again when you talk about money and investing women hear that and they think someone like you or me or Grace, like, oh, well, they have it. But they don't know anything about what any of us have or don't have, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I still financial hack as much as I possibly can. And I, I am in a different situation. I'm, again, older than you guys, which is terrible. Um, <laughs> but I'm further along in my path, so I can afford a lot of things. But when we travel, we still use awesome financial hacks to travel. We use frequent flyer miles for almost everything we do. We use hotel points or we Airbnb because it's a better deal than typically paying for a hotel. Um, and so there's lots of different, and again, like I said, I, sh- I borrowed dresses for events and nobody at these events knows that I didn't pay for that dress. I borrowed it from a friend of mine and she's wearing a dress she borrowed from me. You know, <laughs> So um, I think it's important that women that are listening know if, if you want to do stuff, you don't have to already be there to do it, but you can find a way to get there. Exactly. I mean, I am the thrift store queen. Like everything I wear comes from a thrift store. Um, (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, because I mean, that's just not a priority for me. You know, clothing, I just need something to wear. Like it's not like I have to have name brand. It's not like I have to spend an arm and a leg. I just need something to put on my body so I can go out in public. So (laughs) yeah, I'm the same way. I actually, a couple of years ago, I realized how much time I was spending trying to decide what to wear every day because I've got a sense of style, but I don't have the budget to 
to buy my Pinterest worthy wardrobe. <laughs> and I realized that even if I did, I would feel dumb spending the money on something like that because clothing is just really is not very important to me. I was thinking in terms of travel, like how many trips could I take for insert figure that we're talking about? So I actually threw away about 80%. I donated it. I donated about 80% of my closet and decided on a wardrobe every day of black leggings and a single color t-shirt. And it's usually white, gray, or burgundy. <laughs> and as Krista will attest, I was about to say probably <laughs> every time she's seen me, I'm in some variation of black and white. And I've, I've dressed like this for three or four years now. No one has ever said anything about it. Like, ooh, are you wearing the same thing again? Yes. Yes, I'm wearing the same thing again, just like yesterday and just like I will tomorrow. And it's made my life so much easier. And if you look at a lot of the entrepreneurial greats like Steve Jobs and um, I think Sarah from Spanx does it as well, they all choose uniforms mm -hmm. to wear because they know that their mental energy is better spent on a little bit more uh, important matters in their daily life than what they're going to wear for that day. It's funny you say Bill Gates, I was watching the documentary and him on Netflix this week. And I was like, he wears the same thing every day. And I loved it because I know that he wakes up and never thinks about it. And it, granted, he's going to get away with it a little more because he's a guy and the richest man on the planet. But <laughs> it's still, he's the richest man on the planet and he doesn't want to think about clothing. And that was pretty powerful. They don't talk about that in the documentary, but I noticed it because I was like, all right, I, I think we're on the right page of not spending so much time worrying about something so unimportant. Um, but also, I, I had podcasted with a girl last week, and it ha hasn't aired yet, but we were talking about interesting money-saving techniques that women can use, and clothing was obviously one we talked about, but also food. And Grace is a foodie, so you can also speak to this as well. She's a food blogger. Food is not, food's not massively important to me. I, I eat it to survive, but I don't cook very much. Um, I can have a tuna fish sandwich for lunch every day, and I'm completely happy. And this girl is a personal trainer, and she was talking about when she started to get out of debt, the number one thing she cut out was going out to eat. And she did a chart. She did one week of going out to eat and figured out how much she spent and then annualized that. She didn't go into all that detail, but um, anyway, so figured out how much she was spending and then cut out eating out and she eats her breakfast, lunch, and most of her dinners at home. And that's been a big game changer. And that's another hack of when all your girlfriends are going out to Sunday brunch. I mean, I didn't brunch until I was in my late thirties because I could not afford a $40 breakfast. There's no way. That was just such a waste of money. And these same women that I hear doing this don't have an IRA. Right. You know, so that $40 a week could translate to a huge retirement, you know, or not a huge retirement, but a nice chunk of retirement. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, ladies, for coming on. This was a great discussion. We talked about so many different things. So if people want to hear more from you all, where can they find you? Sure. So our website is thebossladyinvestor.com. And we also blog and have a podcast, the Boss Lady Investor podcast. And then they can order our book on Amazon. We have the Kindle and the paperback version. The Audible version should be out late next week or the following week. So yeah, thanks for having us. This was fun.
Oh, you can. Yeah, thank you very much. And we're going to start, I'm, I'm dead serious. We're going to work on that marital financial checklist to have on our <laughs> website. That needs to happen. <laughs> it does. It does. So. See what happens when you just brainstorm with other people, you know. <laughs> yep, yep. Yep. These brilliant ideas just pop up. But thank they you so much. Thank yep. you so much, ladies. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. All right, you too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Money Talk with Tiff podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to moneytalkwitht.com. And while you're there, why not sign up for our newsletter so you'll never miss an episode. Talk to you soon.